Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling an indestructible life. Now, I can tell you right out of the gate that religious people probably won't like that title, but I'm okay with that because I keep running into an ocean of believers out there that are just desperate to know that their heavenly Father has truly given them a life that they cannot sabotage, that they cannot mess up, that they cannot destroy, that they cannot lose, and they cannot forfeit. An indestructible life does not mean that we have indestructible bodies. Now, the reason I say that is because there are so many people that are out there that will not receive the grace message, and they're always saying, you're telling your people they can live careless. I have never, ever said you could live careless. In fact, I'm a proponent for taking care of your body. I really am. The body can be destroyed. I would encourage you and I would encourage our listeners to do whatever you can to make sure you take care of your body because if you don't care about your body, nobody else will. A few years ago, I was standing in a pharmacy in a little city. And when I would go into that pharmacy, the pharmacist always had a smile on his face, joyful looking, gentle with his approach. And if he had time, he would come out and he would speak to you. And occasionally he would do that for me when I would go in there. It was kind of like a little convenience store and pharmacy. And then one day I was in there and he saw me and he decided to come out and speak with me. And I said to him, I have a question for you. He was already smiling when I said that and his smile even brightened more when I said, I have a question for you. And I am not kidding you. I felt like if he would have had suspenders on, thumbs would have went under those suspenders and he'd have pulled them out about eight inches because he's got an education. And I respect that. I said, this is my question for you, sir. I said, if Jesus Christ stood outside of your front door and he healed everybody on the way in, my question is, would he be invited back or would he be asked to leave? And it was as though a light switch was attached to his smile because it went off just that fast and the blood drained in his face. He said, I would say to him, get out of here and go back to heaven. You are bad for business. The pharmacist's role is to fill prescriptions. They are not there to coach customers into better health. They have a one-track mind, and that one-track mind says, medicate. The instructions on the bottle of medication are a lot like the Mosaic Law. They each tell you what to do, when to do it, how frequently to do it, and what you shouldn't do when under this prescription if you want it to go well with you. They both speak of side effects. Now, Christians do not have a hard time believing that there's an expiration also on their medication, but many do not know that there was also an expiration on the Mosaic Law once they came to Christ. That they'll fight with you on. It's easier for them to believe that, you know, yeah, this medication expires, but to tell them that the Mosaic Law expired in a believer's life, they will fight you many times on that. As I have said before, and I say again, we are no longer governed by that which was chiseled. We are governed by that which was nailed, and his name is Jesus Christ. Friends, there's a stark difference between the approach of Moses and the approach of Jesus. Our spiritual health will never get better by following the prescription of Moses. 
Our spiritual health will only improve as we embrace the wonderful truth that Jesus has already fulfilled the law and he has closed Moses' pharmacy for the believer once for all. The light switch has been turned off and the indestructible life has been turned on. We see this truth in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1-7. through seven. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Now who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus, aren't we? We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. And then he contrasts that for a moment with the priest of the day, the Levitical priest. And he says, every high priest, including himself, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one. Who's this one? This one is Christ. It was necessary for Christ to bring a gift. It was necessary for Christ to bring a sacrifice. He was that gift. He is that gift. He was that sacrifice. He is that sacrifice. It was him that he brought as the sacrifice, not a goat. It was Christ himself. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Now it says, if he were on earth, that means if Jesus were on earth, he would not be a priest. He wouldn't be what you think he would be. He would not be a priest for there are already priests, watch what it says, who offer the gifts prescribed by the law, prescribed by the physician, filled by the pharmacist consumed by the patient. Friends, I've come by today to tell you that we have a better ministry and we have a better minister. His name is Jesus. We have a better covenant with him. His name is Jesus. The Bible says they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that you were shown in the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is, watch this now, mediator, not medicator, mediator, okay? It says his covenant is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. And then it says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, if there would have been nothing wrong with that first prescription, if there would have been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another medication. There would have been no place sought for another replacement. But there was something wrong with it, wasn't there? In other words, if the first covenant would have cured man's sinful disease, then Jesus would not have locked the doors on Moses' pharmacy for the believer. Moses' pharmacy is only open to the unbeliever. It is what brings us to Christ. It is not there to serve medication. It is not there to say, here, this will make you feel better. It is only there to say, I want to point you to the great physician. His name is Jesus. But those doors have been locked for you and me. We should no longer go back there. Because of our programming to use man's prescriptive approach to pain and discomfort, likewise our journey to spiritual health 
is often cluttered with this prescription of do's and don'ts along with all the side effects. That's what we get caught up in. We get caught up in a list of do this, do this at a certain time, don't do this, do's, don'ts, cluttered with side effects. We get introduced to messages like 10 highly effective ways to godliness. Good advice, messages, I get it. But I want you to know something. We don't need a prescription for godliness. We need scriptures for godliness. We need Christ for godliness. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait That's what he says, for the blessed hope, that is the word El Peace, that is that joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. He said, while we wait for this blessed hope, we're under this wonderful grace, waiting for this blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Salvation never needs a refill. It's a one-time fill-in. You are just as saved today as you ever were. Yes, we work out that salvation with fear and trembling into the members of our body and in our mind, but salvation never needs a refill. We take one pill. It's called the gospel, okay? When Jesus comes to live inside of a person, it is a finished work because he has already fulfilled the law, he becomes our once for all prescription and he does not come with a list of do's and don'ts and there are no negative side effects that I have ever found with Jesus. Salvation never needs a refill. In John chapter two, verses 19 through 21, I want you to see the story. Jesus is walking along and he stumbles upon what appears to be a flea market. He comes into the temple courts and he sees people selling animals, and he sees people exchanging money, and he sees his father's temple. You know what? He gets a little indignant. He starts doing things that I haven't even done in my Christian walk, and that is tipping over money changers' tables and breaking bird cages and watching birds fly away, untying goats, and he causes quite a stir, you know. I just can't even hardly picture this happening, you know, but he did it. It's in the Word, right? So he comes upon what appears to be a flea market. He makes this great commotion, and now he's got the attention of everybody. And maybe that's what he was trying to accomplish. I want to speak to you all at once. There's an awful lot of noise here. And I'll tell you what, one of the quickest ways to quiet the noise down is just do something really super radical, and all of a sudden everybody will stop what they're doing and talking about, and be like, what? What's going on here? But now he's got their attention. Their eyes are all fastened on him. And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? See, they had taken it totally out of context. They figured we're standing in front of the temple and he's talking about destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. But the Bible very clearly says right there, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. He was talking about his body destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Now let me ask you a question. Was Jesus's body destroyed on the cross? Absolutely. Look at Isaiah chapter 52 verses 13 and 14. This was a prophetic word that Isaiah saw. He said, see my servant will act wisely 
He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. He's talking about Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled by him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. Friends, this was no light affliction. Jesus' body was absolutely destroyed on the cross. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Three days later, the father was faithful to whisper into his son's heart, arise, my love, arise, my son. The grave no longer has a hold on you, no more death sting, no more suffering. Arise, arise, my love. Oh, what wonderful words for the father to whisper in his son's heart. Arise. Our bodies will ultimately be destroyed at death. But then. But then. It doesn't matter if it's been destroyed for three days, three years, or three millennium. We will hear the anthem of our Father say, Arise, my love. Arise, my son. Arise, my daughter. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more death sting. No more suffering. Arise. Arise, my love. An indestructible life does not mean that we cannot destroy the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. And I want you to know something. That realm can be fractured. Today, more than 50% of the people currently in our mental asylums believe they had committed the unpardonable sin and that stronghold has fractured their mind, fractured their emotions, fractured their will, fractured their soul. And I have to ask the question, where did they get this understanding? Where did they get this ideology? Where did they get this nonsense? Well, from all their teachers, anything from parents to teachers, to Sunday school teachers, to pastors, people that propagated another gospel, but they did not propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul said, that is no gospel at all. Unless you are talking about a finished work, he said, that is not the gospel. That's why we say we are a finished work ministry. I would encourage our listeners, both here and abroad, to allow the gospel of grace to daily drip into your heart. The gospel of grace is what displaces wrong-headed thinking, weird imaginations, crazy thoughts. The gospel of grace. We don't spend time trying to get rid of stuff. We don't spend precious time trying to get rid of the strongholds and the issues of life. It's about taking in, taking in the goodness of the Lord, taking in the blessings of the Lord, taking in the grace and the finished work of the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said these words. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now listen to me carefully. Unless the gospel is preached to a man, he will always remain poor. And Jesus said right there, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. The gospel means the good news. He said, I've come to preach good news to the poor, because I don't want them to remain poor in their spirit. I don't want them to remain that way. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That means the people with fractured souls, the people in the mental asylums, the people in the churches, anybody with a fractured soul. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. And I want you to know something. You don't have to be behind bars and concrete to be in what we would call prison. You can be in a prison of your mind. And the Bible says that Jesus himself said, I've come to preach deliverance to the captives. And what is his message? His message is, I have finished the work. And he says, and recovering of sight to the blind. So now he kind of changes and moves off of the soul for just a moment. And he even moves right to the body. He cares about the whole man. He said, in recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. These are people with black and blue emotions, people whose emotions have been damaged. He said, that is why I've come to set at liberty them that are bruised. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace. Friends, when I speak of an indestructible life, I am not referring to the body or the soul they can be destroyed. I speak of the part of the man that is recreated instantly, thoroughly, and perfectly. The part of the man that becomes a new species, a new creation, a new creature in Christ. It's our spirit man. It is the abiding presence of Jesus. That's the part that is indestructible. That is the part you can't tear up. You can't do it. Our indestructible life is held together by his indestructible grace from an indestructible covenant through an indestructible savior. Now, when we first hear the words indestructible life used together, there is a conflict that takes place inside of us because we are so conditioned to think in terms of natural. Naturally speaking, we've learned that nothing lasts forever. Everything wears down, everything wears out, everything can get destroyed. But the indestructible life that I speak of this morning is the life that Jesus gave us as a wedding gift. He said, this is my gift to you. I'm going to give you life and life more abundantly. I'm going to give you this as my wedding gift. Oh, how precious. What a great gift. This is more than just a ring being slipped over a finger. This is more than just a kiss at the altar. This is more than an exchange of vows. He says, I'm going to give you my life and it's an indestructible life. The word indestructible means that which is incapable of being destroyed. I don't know if we need any explanation on that, but when you hear the word indestructible, it literally means that, that which is incapable of being destroyed. So when you lay the word indestructible in front of the word life, the message that is transmitted to you and I is that we possess an indestructible life or a life that's incapable of being destroyed. Another way to say an indestructible life is to say an everlasting or an eternal life. And that is what I want you to see through the balance of this message. Jesus promised us an indestructible. He promised us an eternal and everlasting life, a life that we cannot sabotage, a life that does not require costly medication to maintain. We see this indestructible life ratified through the following scriptures, and we begin in one of my favorite scriptures, John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In that short scripture, there are five verbs. The verb loved, gave, believeth, perish, and have. There are your five verbs. Verbs always point to action. But it says this, it says, for 
God so loved the world. It literally means because God so loved the world. Because God so loved the world. In other words, the word so means in this way. It means in this way God loved the world that he gave. That word gave means delivered up. His only begotten son that whosoever believeth, which means to put your trust in his son, Jesus Christ, should not perish. That means be destroyed, but have everlasting life or an indestructible life. So if we were to read this scripture the way it's translated in my heart, it would literally say, because God in this way loved the world, he delivered up his only begotten son that whosoever puts their trust in Christ should not be destroyed, but have an indestructible life, a life that is incapable of being destroyed. All you parents probably played the little game with your little kids when they were just babies, the so big game, haven't you? I love that game. It makes little kids laugh. And I think it's a game that we do because we want to bond with that baby. But there's just something about taking their little bitty hands and putting them down by their little tummy. And we look at them and we get in our little baby voice. And we say, how big is the baby? And we throw their hands over their head. And we say, so big. And we pull the hands back down. And they are laughing. They are smiling. They are cracking up. You are bonding. They are bonding with you. And you pull their hands back down to their tummy. And you do it all over again. You say, how big is the baby? <laughs> And you'd say, so big, so big, yeah, so big is the baby. You know what? When I look at this scripture, I see daddy doing the same thing, except he takes our hands and he pulls them down next to our little tummies and he says, how loved is the baby. And he flings our hands over our head and he says, so loved. And he puts our hands back down by our tummy and he never tires of it. And we smile when daddy does that. And he says, how loved is the baby. And he throws our hands over our head and he says, so loved. That's what the Bible is saying here. For God so loved the world that he threw your hands over your head and he says, you are so loved by your daddy gonna make you look at john 3 16 totally different my friends for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life the word have when it says have everlasting life that word have is one of those five verbs it comes from the greek word echo verbs always speak of action when we look at John 3, 16, we see God gave. That's a verb. We have. That's a verb. Jesus invited. We responded. Jesus knocked. We opened the door. Jesus said, trust me, and we believe. That's how easy it is to come to know Christ. God gave. We have. Now, if God gave me eternal life, what do I have? I have eternal life. That's what he gave me. I have what he gave me. Not what I have conjured up. Not what I have worked for. Not what I have put my arms around. God gave, I have. Oh, how precious that is. The word have comes from that Greek word echo. It's a verb, like I said. It means to possess. And I like this because it says it's in the sense of wearing. 
I have and I wear. Like I have a suit. I am wearing a suit. I have shoes. I am wearing shoes. This word have literally means in the sense of wearing. Okay? So now Romans 13, 14 makes sense. The Bible says rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We have been clothed with Christ, who is the author and the finisher of an indestructible life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, watch what it says, have put on Christ. When God says you have everlasting life, what he's saying there, he's saying you have slipped on my son. You have put on my son. You have everlasting life. It's not something you carry. It's something you wear. It's a garment that never comes off of us. It is righteousness that the Father gives us. It is never removed for any situation. We wear and are clothed with Christ. The beloved John said in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, Jesus himself said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now let's look at this verse a little closer. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And watch what he says, I give unto them eternal life. It's a life that we can't tear up and the devil can't tear down. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, my father which gave them me. I want you to notice that right there. My father which gave them me. Do you notice that the word them is italicized? That means in the original Greek, it was not there. And so the translators added it because they thought it would flow better. But the way that originally reads is my father which gave me. See, it points back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He says, my father is greater than all. That little word all has such a big heart. It's so encompassing. It comes from the Greek word pas, P-A-S, and it means whatsoever's and whosoever's. Now, when we reference back to John 3, 16 again, it makes sense when it says, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That word man is not there in the original Greek. And it just says, and no is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That doesn't sound like it makes sense when we hear, and no is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's because the word no comes from the Greek word udais, which literally means not even one. So you can put man in there, you can put woman in there, you can put beast in there, you can put devil in there, you can put ever what you want in there, but he says not even one. You name it, you fill in the blank, he says nothing can pluck you out of my father's hand, for my father is greater than all. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Not guess, know. Not wonder, know. Not ponder, know. That you may know that you have an indestructible life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life, even an indestructible life. This is a promise. 
This was a wedding promise when Jesus stood there across from the bride on that day that you said yes and amen to his invitation and he stood there. He said, I am giving you this promise. You take it to the bank. I am giving you this promise. You have eternal life. I am giving you an indestructible life. There are so many scriptures, so many more scriptures about eternal life. But let me give you one more. Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What's he going to bring to us? He's going to bring an indestructible life to us. Sometimes it's so easy for us to think temporary, temporal, but we need to set our mind, the Bible says, on higher things. And higher things are the eternal things of God, right? So in order to think eternal, a believer has to stop feeding on old covenant thoughts. The old covenant consisted of the temporal and the conditional. It was like medication that never made you better. You just had to keep renewing the prescription. That's how it was under the old covenant. You had to just keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. It never really made you better. It just maintained. It kept somebody from getting killed. That's all it did. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Notice how it said it cannot make you perfect. The law cannot make you perfect. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The new covenant now consists of the eternal. It consists of the indestructible. It consists of provision. It consists of grace. And we see that juxtaposition as we skip up a few verses in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But when this priest, that is Christ, that is our eternal lamb, that is Jesus Christ, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he has, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Friends, Moses' pharmacy closed for you and me. It didn't heal us, and it had nothing on its shelves that could give us an indestructible life. Moses' law only wanted to play the soul love game if you were perfect before daddy. But the problem is he couldn't sing that to anybody because nobody was perfect before daddy under the law. They did their best, yes, God still had grace, God still had mercy, but the Bible says all had fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody could live up to that standard, so Moses never took you by the hands and played that game with you. He never told you how loved you were. He told you what you had to do. He kept filling your prescriptions, but he never told you how much the Father loves you. It was about do's and don'ts. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 22, we find some amazing scriptures. The Bible says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, then why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? Aaron was the first high priest of Israel, 
But he's talking about another priest here called Melchizedek who has no beginning and has no end. He's like a mystery man that shows up in Genesis and Abraham pays tithes to him. And then he shows up again in the New Testament right here in Hebrews. And he says, if perfection could have been attained through that Levitical priesthood, he said, then why was there still need for another priest to come one in the order of Melchizedek. This is a type and shadow of Jesus himself because Melchizedek's name literally means king of peace, king of righteousness. Those are the titles that are assigned to our Jesus. He is the king of peace and he is the king of righteousness. It says if perfection, in other words, if an indestructible life could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, then there would have been no reason for this Melchizedek to come. There'd be no reason for Christ to come. If something is perfect, then dirt won't defile it. Time won't tarnish it. Age won't alter it. And behavior won't modify it. You see, if that was the case, then it wouldn't be perfect. It would just simply be new. That's all. See, you can take a new car and you can get it dirty. You can take a new car and you can get it in an accident and bend it all up. A new car will eventually rust out. But that car was never perfect or would have never gotten in that condition. That car was just new at one time. But when you're perfect, age does not alter it. Time does not transform it. Behavior does not modify it. That is the difference between something just being new and something being perfect. Jesus came to live inside of us. Yes, he made us a new creation, but he put his perfect love inside of us. He put his perfect salvation inside of us. And then it continues. It says, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe. Now, who, who are they talking about here? They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about he belonged to a different tribe. And I don't know what tribe that was, right? It was the tribe of Judah. He said they belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. This is how we get the name lion from the tribe of Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears who has become a priest, not, watch what he says, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. The title from this message comes straight out of Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. Now, listen to the words here. The former regulation. What is the former regulation? It's the Mosaic law. He said that was set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing and no one perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. You couldn't draw near to God. In fact, Moses tried to, and God said, you just stay over there. Don't get too close to me, Moses. Don't even look at me. If you stare me in the face, if you come over and try to touch me and figure out why this bush is not being consumed. The Bible says, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever because of this oath Jesus has become. I love these words. He has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Friends, let me tell you something. The guarantor. The guarantor 
is someone who sits down and co-signs for you. They have guaranteed that loan. And Jesus put it on there with his precious blood. And he says, I am guaranteeing this indestructible life apart from your behavior, apart from the way you act, apart from what you do. He said, I am guaranteeing this. Time won't change it. Age won't change it. Behavior won't modify it. I am guaranteeing this right here. Me hanging on the cross is sufficient payment for your sins. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. The deeper a believer's revelation becomes of the new covenant, the deeper a man's revelation of grace will manifest. The new covenant is like WD-40 that unloosens the rusted bolt of religion. A man will never appreciate the finished work of grace or the gift of eternal life or this gift of an indestructible life until he understands covenant. I've been saying that for quite some time. If you want to understand grace, you've got to understand covenant because apart from covenant, it's hard to understand grace. If you want to understand grace, you've got to understand some things about the eternal because these are the forerunners so that grace makes sense down here. You have to understand eternal things of God. You have to understand covenant and that's what covenant contains. It contains the eternal promises of God. It contains the eternal covenant and blessings of the Lord. I was on my way to work a couple of months ago and I was thinking about covenant. I mean, covenant was on my mind in devotions that morning. And I was thinking about covenant, old covenant, new covenant, how to explain it to people so that they kind of get it. And as I was thinking about this meditating on covenant, this vehicle went by me on the left-hand side. And I happened to look over at this vehicle. And on the side of this van, it said Highway Emergency Response Vehicle, H-E-R-V, HERV. Okay, that's HERV going by. Highway Emergency Response Vehicle. And I knew exactly what those words meant. That is the vehicle that responds to you if you are on the side of the road. That is the vehicle that comes to rescue you when your car is broken down. And it's not just to help you out, but it's so that it won't create an issue with an accident somewhere down the road. What caught my attention was the sign that was on the back of the vehicle. And this is what it said. It said, caution, sudden stop, and lane changes. And immediately in my spirit, I said, that's covenant, isn't daddy? Here I am meditating on covenant. This vehicle goes by me and it says, sudden stop, lean changes. I couldn't help but think, that's exactly what happened at the cross. There was a sudden stop of old covenant and a lane change. It took the precious blood of Jesus to bring a stop, a sudden stop to the Mosaic law and friends, a lane is simply a way. That's all a lane is. A lane is a road or a street. A lane is just simply a way. And Jesus became that way for us on the cross. In fact, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am that lane. There has been a sudden stop to that Mosaic law under that old covenant. And it will be now through the cross. It will be through my shed blood that I give you this indestructible life. Let's take a little bit closer look at that sudden stop and lane change in Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Watch what he says. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Look at the next words, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. I've come by today to tell you if anybody tries to bring your sin up, you tell them that Jesus himself said, I remember your sins no more. And then he says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Why did that happen? Because Jesus said there is going to be a sudden stop to that old covenant. And it was the cross that brought that stop. And Jesus said, I am going to be the way. See, every believer has an indestructible life, but they just don't know it. Even believers that just don't understand how precious this life is that they have, how indestructible this life is. Let me ask you a question in closing. Was it said about Jesus that he possessed an indestructible life? Yes. We saw that truth over in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16, where the Bible says, not on the basis of power, but of an indestructible life. Jesus has an indestructible life, correct? Absolutely. Where do believers live? In Christ. We not only live in Christ, we wear Christ. Where is Christ seated right now? He's seated at the right hand of his Father. Where are you and I seated right now? We are seated in Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. We live inside of the one that possesses an indestructible life that that Hebrews chapter 7 verse 16 speaks of. We are made one with Jesus. Therefore, his life becomes our life. His indestructible life becomes our indestructible life. My closing scriptures, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Watch what it says now. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Does it say that? It says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What kind of life did it say he has? An eternal, everlasting, indestructible life. And he says, because you died with him, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, it became one with Christ. When daddy looks at his son Jesus, he sees you just the exact same way he sees Jesus. He doesn't see you any different. That's an amazing thought. It's a thought that a lot of believers want to argue with because they just base it upon their performance. But he sees us as a spirit man first and foremost. And he says our sins he remembers no more. And then here's what it says. When Christ, who is your life, is it there? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We possess an indestructible life. Friends, the good news that reaches out to us from the scriptures are these. Moses' pharmacy closed the day Jesus' tomb opened. Jesus has given us the gospel with no expiration date. 
It's a perfect gospel. It's a gospel that's not defiled by dirt. It's a gospel that's not tarnished by time. It's a gospel that is not altered by age. It's a gospel that's not modified by behavior. It's a gospel whereby our daddy throws our hands over our head and he declares, so loved, so loved. It's the only gospel that carries Jesus' personal guarantee of an indestructible life. And Father, I want to thank you that I truly believe every single word I spoke today that we have an indestructible life. And Daddy, that is a gift that is so large and such a quality gift. I want to treasure this gift. I want to take care of this gift, Daddy. I want to thank you, Father, that I get to bring you more than just a song. I get to bring you me. And I'm wearing Jesus. I'm seated with Jesus. I'm one with Jesus. And I get to wear him every time I come. And I come and bring gifts. And I bring my heart to you, Daddy. I want to thank you, Father, that you love us so much that you would say, I'm going to give you the greatest gift I can give you. I'm going to give you an indestructible life in my son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.